This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. We will post on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time for the foreseeable future as we navigate our way through this incredible crisis. First, a word about our sponsor, SAI Global. With the coronavirus and COVID-19 pandemic continuing to change rapidly, trust and integrity are paramount to business continuity preparedness. SAI Global is here to help compliance and risk professionals facing these challenges, including unprecedented business impacts from employee well-being to disrupted supply chains. SAI 360 is a cloud-first software and modern ethics and compliance learning platform designed to help you navigate risk from every perspective. To learn more about how you can protect your business operations and workforce during these uncertain times, visit saiglobal.com backslash risk for free resources, expert guidance, and industry-leading technology. Thanks again to SAI Global for sponsoring this most important podcast. Today I have with me Kevin Abakoff and Mike Hunicki, both lawyers at Hughes, Hubbard & Reed. We take a look at their excellent article, There is No COVID-19 Defense, which was posted in the FCPA blog. They talk about why compliance never sleeps and some of the things that a compliance officer can be doing today in light of COVID-19. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Kevin Abakoff and Michael Hunicki, Hunicki, sorry, uh, partners at Hughes Hubbard. Uh, gentlemen, first of all, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. They wrote a jointly wrote a blog post for the FCPA blog entitled "There Is No COVID-19 Defense to Corruption." Uh, I had been trying to articulate the thought that compliance never sleeps, but uh, they did, I thought, a, a much better job of it. So I wanted to first off uh, ask you guys, um, in terms of counseling your clients, the concept that. There is no COVID-19 defense or compliance never sleeps. Is that a message that's resonating out there? Yeah, and this this is Kevin and, and, and Tom. Let me first say thank you uh, for inviting us and to thank you on behalf of the whole community for the important work you do uh, in this area. And uh, I'm a frequent listener to, to all that you do. And, uh, we you know, we really appreciate it and appreciate you uh, giving us an opportunity today. Uh, uh, you know, we, we do find it's resonating. It's, uh, since, since our blog post has come out, uh, I think that we've gotten more resonance and traction with people on that than almost anything else, uh, I have ever published in that same space. Maybe it's attributable to the fact that people have more time to look and read things. Uh, I, I would hope it has something to do with the substance of it, but, I think people really lighted on to the fact that um, at, as we as we posited, uh, everything is always judged in hindsight in the corruption space. And uh, while 
staring out our windows onto empty streets uh, is, is our reality today. Three, five years from now, when, when all this is a funny memory, uh, prosecutions will take place. And it, and it won't be an excuse, as, as nothing ever is, be it a war or other things, uh, to engage in corrupt acts. And I think people are really seizing on to that to realize that they're going to be judged what they do today, not within the context of the difficult circumstances, but against uh, the vagaries of what, what the future will bring. I don't know, Mike, if you have if you have a thought on this topic as well. Yeah, well, and I think that people were looking for um, a way to be focused and a way to find meaning and be productive in these very difficult circumstances. <clears throat> the article really uh, arose out of our own thoughts internally about what to do with our own team and how to engage with our own people. We're we're fortunate to be busy. Um, we've got um, plenty to do, but how do you uh, stay involved and stay part of a team? And what can you do proactively, even if maybe there's not a big M&A deal that's closing that needs a compliance review? What can you do to anticipate what's going to come down the road? When I originally read your article, uh, and I'm going to start with point number one, stay visible. When I originally read that article, uh, I read it as literally the title for that uh, bullet point, stay visible. But in the text of that paragraph, and as I talk to compliance practitioners, what I'm hearing is as important as it is for a CCO and compliance officer to stay visible, the communications with your colleagues may be if not equally important, more important. And you guys point that out in there by talking about checking in with colleagues uh, regarding their well-being, their resources, and potential transactions. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the need to stay visible, but it's really the the communication, the back and flow, the or back and forth, the flow of communication that I think you're getting at there. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I'm I'm a big advocate uh, for what Harvard Business School teaches as management by walking around, and I think they attribute it uh, to Lincoln's leadership style back during the Civil War. And uh, he would not wait for reports to come from emissaries or from the generals when they could make it to his command post, but he would actually go out into the field and meet with people in their environment. And that, to me, has tended to be the most significant way to counsel people in, in the compliance space as well. And it's certainly what we advocate uh, with our clients and the compliance professionals with whom we work to get out there and really join with their colleagues and uh, discover their problems, discover their work habits, uh, and be able to partner with them. And now... The current environment raises an enormous challenge to, to the, the very basic uh, core of that philosophy. And so what we try to do, and, and uh, I've heard Mike express it this way, you know, replace the normal conversations you have around the coffee machine or the water cooler with uh, conversations that you have over the phone. And we, we've been advocating to people you know, not only picking up the phone on a regular basis as a check-in, but actually arranging um, uh, scheduled periodic calls with uh, key counterparts. And that's what we've been telling our our clients 
uh, it's critical for them to have set up calls with their key business counterparts, frankly, as we do with our key clients, uh, to make sure that the information flows in as natural a way as can be uh, under the circumstances. Because sometimes if you tell people, oh, just call me, you know, if you need anything, that call will never happen. But if you're on the phone anyway, lots of things will, will come up. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you have a perspective on this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I certainly have a first-hand perspective on Kevin's style, walking around the office, and uh, but also when dealing with clients in this way. And I, I think even for you know our in-house contacts and how they interact with stakeholders, this is really, really important. And in the past, it used to be a concern that if you left them to their own devices to call you, just the the, the crush of business might keep them from calling you when they should be. Here, it's the crush of, you know, when can they make their scheduled, you know, grocery store visit? You know, are they having to homeschool their children uh, during the day, during normal business hours? And having that scheduled call, even if there's no particular agenda, uh, exactly as Kevin said, can give you that opportunity, both of you, uh, to think of things that, Otherwise, you wouldn't have really gotten a chance to talk about that, but that can be really important both in the present moment because things are still happening. There are st- There is still activity out there, but also to anticipate this wave of what we expect to be a lot of uh, very intense activity once the crisis is over. The uh, The other thing that struck me about your list was you, you gave what I thought were very – strategic got was very is very strategic guidance and strategic counseling and also tactical um number six on your list though i'd like to focus on that because also this struck me as incredibly important and it's entitled ensure financial controls are functioning um one of the things that i've heard compliance practitioners worry about is uh, yeah we've got controls but who's watching them right now so I was wondering if you guys might give your thoughts on not only ensure they're functioning, but make sure somebody is watching while everyone is working remotely. Sure. And maybe, Kevin, I'll, I'll start with this one. I, you know, it, Frankly, again, this came out of our own experience and just making sure that our own uh, Paris office financial systems were mobile and could be done you know, remotely. And uh, getting all that set up would didn't take a lot of time, but did re- did require the proactive thinking and checking in with our finance colleagues to make sure it was working. And so here the idea is the same. We have many clients who have uh, watch lists, blacklists, uh, exclusion lists, however they call them. Uh, we have you know many, many clients who have second or third level controls that involve some aspect of financial review. And there's an assumption I think that when something is automated or is an SAP, that it really can be either done on autopilot or on its own, but that's not necessarily always the case. And we find a lot that uh, particularly people operating at a group level within their companies might not appreciate that there's a middle level or local level uh, finance aspect that really is maybe still manual or is on a different system. And so it's important to proactively reach out uh, to your finance colleagues uh, and to your local compliance and legal colleagues to make sure that the things that are supposed to be working are actually working. 
Yeah, com- completely agree with all that. And the the small point I would make is that uh, you know each each part of the process, whether it's compliance or the financial controls, is really meant to function as an independent control. And where we've seen things go wrong, and this is as much a creature of the past as anything, I'd like to think it doesn't happen as much, is when each person puts their signature on uh, an approval just because the person ahead of them has signed it. And it it takes you to some bad places because the first person signs thinking, well, uh, I'll sign, but maybe my boss uh, will, will look at this more carefully. And the boss signs because the person underneath who's supposed to have the day-to-day responsibility signed, and then it gets up to finance, uh, and they sign because the business line folks have signed off. And what we're really trying to make sure everybody stays on top of is the necessity of having this independent check at each level with the financial check being being a critical part of that process. Uh, another area you uh, talked about was in the communication for the compliance practitioner to be aware of uh, deals that uh, not only are ongoing or were ongoing before the corona, coronavirus health crisis arose, but also deals that may come up both because and during the health crisis. So, for instance, is a company pivoting to manufacture goods for healthcare workers? Is a company going to deliver products in a country which may need them uh, that didn't need them before, in addition to joint ventures or um, other transactions that a compliance officer would be involved in? How do you suggest that a compliance officer really stay abreast of those items? Yeah. And, it, you know, in, in some corporate cultures, this will happen reasonably naturally because the compliance apparatus will be part of the executive committee of the operations of the business, but not always. And, uh, again, uh, certainly making sure that if that takes place, those kinds of decisions within the new business function or at a, at a corporate function, that the compliance people affirmatively reach out and ask what's going on and suggest that they can take uh, measures to add value to any process. If there's a joint venture being formed, suggest that they get in touch with their counterpart to make sure that the compliance protocols are being jointly put in place uh, in the most effective way possible and don't make themselves the final check also thought of as the final roadblock. But if they're affirmatively reaching out to be part of that process and to making sure and to make sure that they're aware of the pivots, as you say, Tom, which is exactly right, that the business is seeking to undertake, they make themselves more valuable and they make themselves in the end uh, much less of a roadblock and much more of a value added uh, proposition to the company's pivot in in either life-saving means or profit means or both. Tom, I just add to that that um, there may be an innocent assumption by operational people that compliance does what it does but may not necessarily be able to translate its skills to other areas, which I think if you have these regular communications proactively, you can educate them that many of the skills that compliance professionals have are transferable. For example, 
some of our clients are pivoting from sales to dealing with customers who are in financial distress and need to find other means of getting financing through export credit or through development banks. And by reaching out to the business and operations and being aware of these developments, we have colleagues and friends of ours who have demonstrated that, you know, doing due diligence on third parties turns out to be really useful when dealing with the bank, doing you know, your customer due diligence for other people, or helping your customers to get the financing by explaining what uh, they can do from a compliance perspective and what compliance programs they have in place. One of the things that also struck me about your uh, blog post was you you focused on some very tactical items. And uh, for instance, you have one uh, bullet point entitled Chase for Completeness. You have one in, in Insist on Interviews. But you really re- remind the compliance practitioner that this is a uh, I don't want to say unique opportunity, but it's a unique time. And you may have downtime. And while you have that downtime, take a look at some of the small stuff that you may not have had the time to go through in detail before, but keep reading. Uh, make sure your your files are in order, as, or as I would say, document, document, document. Why is paying attention to the tactical details of a CCO role uh, so important right now in you all's view? Well, it's, you know, it's, if, if you do have the time uh, to do so, it's a rare opportunity uh, to get ahead of the wave. And we're confident that even if it's months uh, or longer that the current crisis and the current economic crisis lasts, there will be a frenetic wave of activity where the business is trying to catch up. And, you know, you're not going to uh, serve your, your internal clients well if, there's something that just hasn't been looked at for four months or five months. Uh, and this is the opportunity while you have, you know, business counterparts and stakeholders who may also have some time, but are also still connected, uh, who can help you to complete files, to make sure everything has been reviewed by the right people, uh, to chase for the, the types of um, uh, annoying little things that can sometimes trip up a compliance process, sometimes at the very end. Um, it's also something that ties in, Tom, to the to the overall strategic points. It's part of staying visible. It's part of keeping the messaging going, um, and it's it's it gives you a framework in which to really achieve those strategic goals by paying attention to the de- the details, catching up on the file, that those sort of things. Yeah, I, I would agree with all that, and I, I would also say there's no better time than right now if compliance needs the business to change course, be it on a joint venture partner, uh, particular, particular operational aspects, methodologies for selecting uh, contractors or suppliers, third-party business partners. This is the moment where if there, are, if there are relationships that are deeply troubling, to take the hard look, to make the call to the, your business colleagues and say, you know, we're not really doing anything in XYZ country. This third party that we've worked with has never done their, their business activity reports. We struggle with them because they won't let us do the kind of audit we've always asked for. Maybe this is the time we can really use the downtime to start thinking about other relationships that would be uh, equally, if not more productive for us. And this, this is the rare pause that can benefit and actually uh, work to uh, manage and mitigate risk. 
and and it's uh, it's the wise compliance person who takes advantage of it, has the conversations in the quiet calm that could exist from a relative work slowdown, and make those pivots, make those those changes. And at the same time, I think one of the other points we make in here is while there's going to be pressure to compromise, uh, and that is to say, if you normally do in-person interviews of third parties like your key business partners, uh, obviously that can't happen right now uh, under virtually any business policies. Uh, It's important to find as adequate a substitute as humanly possible. uh, And uh, conducting interviews by phone uh, or doing a video is a lot better than doing nothing. And we, we strongly encourage compliance professionals not to simply give up on their controls, but to find as adequate a substitute as humanly possible under the circumstances. Well, gents, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but today I've been visiting with Kevin Abakoff and Michael Haneke, partners at Hughes Hubbard, on a blog post uh, in the FCPA blog entitled, There is No COVID-19 Defense to Corruption. Gents, it was a great blog post, and this has been a great conversation, and I'm sure we'll be visiting again. Thank you, Tom, and thanks for the great work you do. Yeah, same from me, Tom. Thanks a lot. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. If you have any questions or you have a topic you would like explored on this podcast, please shoot me an email at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, as a call to action, I would ask if you could to please tell one of your friends about the podcast so we can spread the word out about the newest podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. Also, if you would leave us a rating on iTunes or a review, it would greatly help get this word out about this most important podcast over the next several months. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me for our next episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.